Welcome to the XBK Network, Taste of Edmonton, and we're with Stan Ma, uh, owner, restaurant owner, and I hear that your restaurant is a long-standing gem in Edmonton. Blue Willow. Yeah. Well, we've been around since uh, 56, <gasps> 57, the Blue Willow was uh, completed and built down on Jasper Avenue on 108th Street. Uh, that's where the uh, park is, right between uh, Union Bank uh, Hotel and the Telus uh, Towers, the two Telus buildings. So there's a park there right on under uh, Day Street. So we originated from there in 1945. My uh, father got discharged from the Canadian Army. Uh, he was born in Saskatoon in 1918. My grandfather helped build the railroad to let all the uh, Western Canadians in, except for the Native Americans. So uh, we, we go back a little bit. Um, but when my father got discharged from the Canadian Army, uh, he bought Pan American, where the Blue Willow, original Blue Willow, was located on 108th Street. And then he ripped that uh, building down to Pan American in 55. Uh, built Blue Willow 56, part of 57, opened it, and then we had our grand opening in 58. So that's uh, where we started. Our new location now, because uh, Blue Willow got uh, bought out and ripped down, our second location is on 111th Street and 103rd Avenue uh, on the corner. So that's where we are now. So, I mean, I've got to ask. That's a pretty unbelievable story. And, you know, the, the restaurant sector in general is notorious for opening enclosures and high failure rate. And I guess I'm curious what your secret is to your longevity and how you know, to have opened in the mid-50s and still going strong and incredible name recognition. I mean, how did you, how well, did you get here? <laughs> it's not my secret. It's actually my father's secret. Hmm. You know, uh, Pan American Blue Willow, when he was in the uh, restaurant industry, uh, he was also in other things too, because uh, at that time he bought into the Edmonton Oil Kings with Bill Hunter, who started the World Hockey Association, the Edmonton Oilers. So my dad was a partner with Bill Hunter, and uh, he got involved in hockey, baseball, a lot of community sports. Uh, and that's part of our organization. My father always said, give back to the community, and, and that's what we did. And uh, my dad used to laugh at people when they said, Chloe, Vic, you're making lots of money. He laughed. He said, you should see my bottom line with the, the community. He said, uh, uh, we really give back. We can't make any money in hockey or baseball or whatever. He says, uh, just in it to, to help the community. But the main thing that my father always pointed out to other people is that the dining room of the restaurant was actually our living room. So he said, I greet all my customers, everyone coming in, like they're coming into my own home, into my living room. And he said, that's the way you treat people, whether it's inside the restaurant or outside the restaurant. Uh, you work with the people and you enjoy their company. 
So I'm listening to you and, you know, there's so many people um, that are entrepreneurs that are passionate in, in, in your industry, whether they're a chef or they have a love for food. Um, and you brought us four amazing dishes. I nibbled, actually, I'll lie, I ate the whole fried banana. But it was amazing. Um, but I, it's kind of a two-part question because you bring a legacy of knowledge and experience um, in, in, what, in your restaurant. Why do you think so many restaurants, they, they don't survive in, in the first three years and they don't make it? And, and what advice would you give to those aspiring restaurant owners? Well, when people tell me that they're going to open a restaurant, I always caution them because, as she said, it's very difficult to, to run a restaurant. Uh, people think that it's uh, very easy because... Uh, they're foodies usually, and it's a passion. But the business side is very tricky. And nowadays, with all the new rules and regulations coming through uh, city, uh, through uh, the uh, water companies, uh, like EPCOR, electrical companies, gas companies, they have a whole host of rules. And these rules really cost money. And so, now to start your overhead is really incredible uh it's it takes uh, a lot of money to try to support yourself in the first year and i always say to people who uh, are you know you're not going to make no matter how busy you think you're going to be or you actually are you still won't make money in the first year uh second year if you can hold your crowd you might be close to breaking even in the third year you might make a little money but i said usually it's a five-year deal you know the fourth year and fifth year is when we really know that you're going to stick around well i think you know so i i wanted to uh, i know you brought us four dishes um can you tell us what they were and 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 then what is the most popular item on your menu well, you know, our menu is uh, diverse, and we've uh, changed it since about uh, 15 years ago. So when you talk about uh, Oriental food, especially Chinese food, it's usually Cantonese. And that's been part of the staple in North America for the last couple hundred years, because uh, those people who originate from uh, Canton or Guangzhou province, uh, which is one of I think 54 provinces in, in China. I could be wrong. But um, there, each province has a distinct uh, way of cooking. And each <laughs> province may have several different ways of cooking. So Cantonese cooking is southern uh, state. And um, there are several other states that cook similar. Canta, Cantonese food is um, savory. It has a, a lot of taste to it. Um, there's not a lot of uh, salt, but it's, it, it's always got a distinctive taste. So that's the way we started uh, Blue Willow with Cantonese food. But about uh, 10 to 15 years ago, we branched out to other uh, types of Chinese cooking. Um, so Cantonese is one of 
maybe 200 different types of cooking in China. Uh, we cook uh, Sichuan food. And Sichuan is um, hot and spicy. And if you're familiar with the pandas, Chengdu, uh, they have a panda preserve. And Chengdu is noted for hot and spicy food and some oh. of the surrounding provinces. I don't know if the pandas eat hot and spicy. I think they eat food. But uh, yeah, uh, quite frankly, the food that we cook, I can't even eat it because it's too spicy. Really? Wow. Yeah. Because I'm used to Cantonese. Yeah. So I have a Cantonese chef. I have a Szechuan chef. I have a Mandarin chef. Wow. A Mandarin chef is a DJ uh, in and around uh, Beijing. Uh, northern China, or north, yeah, sort of China, not extremely. And uh, they uh, they actually uh, eat lamb, which uh, the southern Chinese didn't for a long time. Really? They eat lamb? It's, it's only in the last uh, 20 years uh, the southern Chinese start to eat lamb, 25 years. But uh, the northern Chinese, and maybe central, but more north, they've been eating lamb, goat, and that for 50 years or longer. So, mandarin food is almost closer to Cantonese, but it's not quite as savory. It's more, I wouldn't say neutral, but it's got a more um, touch of salty taste to it to, towards that end with, with the sauces. So, that's how we've innovated. We branched out into several other areas of cooking. So now we have three areas of cooking. Um, and uh, a lot of Canadians are catching on to uh, Szechuan. <laughs> it's really remarkable because uh, when they come in and they ask for uh, two chili peppers, uh, we rate it by four chili peppers uh, when they request the food. <laughs> yeah. uh, I always recommend to newcomers uh, Go with one chili pepper to see if you can handle it. No, it's serious. It's that, it's that spicy stuff. Oh, it's spicy. Because these people tell me they eat Thai food, they eat Mexican well, Thai food. Oh. You can go high in your spice. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and they say they can handle it. But then once they taste ours, then they're saying, oh, I'm taking the food home. Oh, I would like to order more rice. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I have milk, more right? water, please? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of water. You give them a jug of water. So, uh, yeah. But. There are some uh, Canadians that actually can handle two chili peppers. The odd Canadian uh, can handle three, which I think there's a little bit of Oriental in uh, <laughs> from Central that. China because, you know, uh, I, I'm Oriental, but I can't handle the spicy. So the one thing that's really struck me, and I, I moved to Western Canada about a decade ago, and the one thing that really struck me is the deep, deep roots that the Chinese community has, both in Saskatchewan um, and Alberta, especially in the areas where the railroads was built. But, and I think it's really interesting how some of the dishes have kind of evolved out of the Canadian exposure. I mean, when I moved to Western Canada, I had never heard of ginger beef before. And now there's entire chains dedicated to ginger beef in Alberta, and I just wanted to get your take on that. Uh, different kinds of ginger beef. Yeah. Different kinds. Because uh, not all the people make ginger beef the same. Um, in our case, we twist our beef uh, to make it uh, ginger beef and make it kind of crunchy. Stan, can you tell us a little more about that twisting the beef? What do you mean by 
Well, you know, you it get a little secret. A beef, and then you, you and then you twist it so that yeah. it's all twisted up, right? It's like a, um, like a, almost like a Cheeto. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's yeah. all, all twisted. And then you deep fry it, and then we put our sauce to it. But everyone, you know, contends that their sauce is better yeah. than the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But ginger beef in China was really originated with just sliced beef. Very thin, mm-hmm. and, and the Chinese couldn't afford uh, beef because you know you have your oxen pulling yeah. uh, the plows and stuff like that. And it's only in the last 30, 40 years that uh, uh, beef started to become uh, more notable. And so uh, it was just thin sliced beef with a ginger sauce. It wasn't breaded though. Was it breaded? Uh, no, 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 it wasn't breaded. So here in North America, uh, as you said, Western Canada, but even in, in the States, everyone does the ginger beef differently. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you have to find out what your, your preference is. Ginger beef, uh, we label that under our Cantonese cooking. It's one of our biggest sellers, as well as our lemon chicken, pineapple chicken, um, things like that. Wow. Um, but, um, as I said, it's different. And every chef prides themselves on being a little bit different. <laughs> you can go into my restaurant, you can go into most of our Asian restaurants, and each chef will cook a little bit differently the item. So what the, what does the restaurant owner do? He makes them conform to one way of doing it, even though they can cook it a little bit differently, because they all pride themselves on their individual style you know it's just like watching programs right when he's working with chefs they all want to be individualistic yeah they all want to be the chef right but you know Ramsey never gets into oriental cooking he doesn't seem to understand that even asian cooks are very individualistic so there gordon (laughs) so there gordon Stan, Stan knows so you you talked so cool. yeah you talked about the four different uh, types of uh, uh, chefs based on um, that they cook with. If somebody was our an, chefs, yes, your chefs in your restaurant. Mm-hmm. So if somebody was an aspiring um, chef and wanted to come work at Blue Willow, what are you looking for in chefs that you hire? I'm looking for someone who's going to be able to listen and perform uh, what the chef is saying. A lot of young people have uh, difficulty following instructions. This is what we find. And uh, if they vary off onto their own and they want to be individualistic really quite early, it doesn't work because they don't have a good grounding. But I do recommend to people to take a basic uh, chef course like at Nate, even if it's just a one-year course or six months, <laughs> but they should take a basic chef course. Uh, usually it's two years to four years at, at, at Nate. Just like chef. Yeah, that's great. No, that's great advice. Awesome. Well, Stan, we will thank you, first of all, for being a restaurateur. A legend. I'm going to call you a legend. No, no. You're a legend. I know everyone says that and they say no, but you are. And trust mm-hmm. me, there's many people like you, I think, 
in the industry that are new coming that have that same passion you have that has given you the longevity. So thank you for coming on our show today and talking about your past in history. Well, I, I just sit here and want to listen to you all day. Well, thank you very much. I, I really owe my training to my father, Victor, but you know, I wasn't trained in the restaurant business. Well, wait, uh, well, like, what was the passion? Where do you want to go? Oh, uh, <laughs> just, like, just like, just like all the immigrant families, they all want you to go to university. Yeah. So Doctor. Uh, I went to, got my bachelor's degree. I went to graduate school for administration oh, really? and uh, worked for the federal government, worked for the city of Edmonton, uh, owned a, a construction business for 20, 25 years. And, and then slowly, the pulled you back. Yes. Slowly, <laughs> I got sucked back in. <laughs> And now he's here at Taste of Edmonton bringing us incredible amazing, food. amazing yeah. dishes. It was really, really good. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Stan. Thank you very much. And uh, Stan, we say to all of our guests, push the A button and we'll send the outro on to the show today. So we're here. That's the A. Chris, the A. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> One, no. Okay. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you.